applause and say thank you to Roberta and who started it and Kate who picked it up and uh, Renee who's been doing a lot of organizing work and, and everybody who's been involved with it after that. I mean, it's just amazing. Thank you very much for, for doing it. Um, I had to embarrass you because you're here. Is <laughs> oh. Well, thank you. I, I had comments regarding leadership before church. Some of you all heard, and I... <laughs> anyway, sorry. I was self-deprecating. You just didn't hear the earlier part. Um, <laughs> um, let's uh, pray as we, as we come into the message. This is part five of our, our work through Philippians. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us to focus on your word. Help me to speak words that reflect your will and and what's in your scriptures, Lord, and help me to accurately reflect the gospel in, in, um, in the message today. Um, and I pray that you would touch the hearts of everybody here, that they would be receptive and that there would be good soil for seeds to land in and, and grow into a, a, a great harvest. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I, so we're working through Philippians, and, and we've, we've been doing it bit by bit, and my commitment was to do every verse in the entire book. Um, and, and if you're following along closely, you'll notice that I'm missing about 20 in here. And so I'm going <laughs> to get them, but we're not going to have a lot of in-depth stuff because uh, it's, it's kind of business stuff that Paul is taking care of. And I, I'm opting to not focus on that um, in the larger message. But I, I'm going to touch on it. Um, so just FYI, I'm cheating. Um, <laughs> I get to start with that in a sermon. That's a bad sign. Um, for those of y'all who, who are kind of coming in the middle, uh, we're looking at Philippians. It's a letter Paul wrote toward the end of his life. He's sitting in prison at this point. By the way, if you have small children or a short attention span, my wife is handing out coloring pages. And you guys, just be aware. <laughs> There's a football player joke in there, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, no, I'm already picking on him. It's bad. Um, um, so Paul is writing this letter toward the end of his life. He's sitting in prison. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh my gosh, you're throwing me off here. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's sitting in prison writing this letter. He's chained to guards, um, and, and he's writing to uh, the church in Philippi, which he planted years and years before. This is the only one of Paul's letters where he is not correcting an error in the church um, because these guys are doing great. Um, and so he, he's writing about joy. Uh, the recurring theme of this letter is joy. Joy is a little like happiness that doesn't stop when you have a bad day. It is, it is a pervasive, underlying, sticks with you forever. Um, God is taking care of things, and I can find happiness in that kind of attitude. Um, and so um, we're going to talk about joy again today and, and for the rest of the series. And, and it's something that our culture lacks. We like happiness. We like material stuff. We like great meals, but joy, even when things are rotten, is not so much what we're good at. And so, um, as God's people, though, this is what we're supposed to be about. Um, we're supposed to ex exude joy. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about uh, shining like stars in the night sky, you know, like bright, stand out, and, and folks who are able, I lost my slides, um, folks who are able to do that, um, I can't read it if it's not up there. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so um, Joy, Paul is writing to this church, doesn't have major problems. Um, Paul is a Jewish convert who had been a Pharisee. Here's why this is important. Um, and this is background. I don't want to have to dump all this in. It's going to come into the letter. Um, there were like three major parties um, of religious slash political folks in ancient Israel, right? And, and you know, the Sadducees were ultra-liberal and didn't really believe that God did miracles anymore and they didn't hold to anything but the first few books of the Bible and stuff like that. Um, they tended to be in power a lot because wealthy folks were, were often Sadducees, right? Like they had a lot of money and they'd buy the priesthood, which is not cool, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, then you had the Pharisees who were like ultra-religious. Um, and and um, these guys would, uh, they, they wanted to make sure that they obeyed God as best as possible, right? And the assumption was, because years before God had punished Israel by having them sent off into slavery and stuff like that, and um, the assumption was that in order to not have that happen again, you had to follow the law as well as possible, all right? Like, like so you have the Ten Commandments, everybody knows those, right? Don't kill, don't steal, love God, those sorts of things. And what they did was they wrote a book called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was, was a commentary where they expanded the law. Like they would say, well, look, a road, according to the law, has to be this wide. Well, what if it's just a path from my house to the mailbox? How wide does that have to be? And they said, well, God wants you to make it this wide. And so they started coming up with rules for every conceivable way you could possibly offend God. And, and they basically built hedges around the original law. And the hedges got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, it's sort of like, did anybody ever have grandparents with furniture you weren't allowed to get on and that room in the front of the house that you weren't allowed to go into and there was plastic on everything? Nobody? My grandma smoked cigarettes and cussed at us, so I don't know. I assume other people had grandmas like this. Um, <laughs> I, it's true. I, um, but, but you know what I'm telling you, that, that room, and it's like, it's like even if you were allowed to go in there, you had to take your shoes off. And you weren't allowed to eat in there. And, and if you did eat in there, like if you were company, you had to have a coaster. And like the furniture had plastic on it, so you couldn't spill on it. It's a little like that. They took the good thing, which is the law, and they just started building barriers to keep you from messing it up. And, and those barriers were crazy. It's like, well, on the Sabbath, so you don't work, you're not allowed to make your bed. Yeah, you know, but other ones weren't so fun. Like you're not allowed to walk more than a mile. If you walk more than a mile, it's work and God's mad at you. Um, and, and these guys had built up this huge collection. This is the Pharisees. This is what Paul is, all about the rules, right? Um, and, and they had built up this huge collection of rules for, for how to do this. And it still happens, actually. There, there are still expansions on the Talmud, which is the commentary on the commentary on the law. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, including, like, for Jewish astronauts. I'm sure there are Jewish astronauts. Um, but there are rules for how to obey Sabbath in space. You know, like, what? <laughs> really? Like, like God's going to be that ticked off at you if you accidentally, you know, clean the bathroom in space? You know, I don't know. Um, but, but this is Paul. Paul is, as, as a young man, Paul was all about the rules. And, and all about the rules is the way to get right with God. Anybody know anybody like that? I am definitely holier than the rest of you. That's not me. That's, any of you know me should be laughing now. Um, you know, this, the attitude is I am holier than you. And I am working my way to God. And, and, you know, I've done every raffle and bingo and, you know, church potluck and everything else. And God is going to recognize all that stuff when I get there. Um, and so, like, that's the attitude of the Pharisees. It's going to come back. We'll get to it in a minute. Um, and then the last thing that's background. Last week we talked about from the previous section 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Everybody who was here maybe was awake during that part of the sermon. Um, it, it, what Paul is talking about in that section, he's talking about figuring out how to live out your faith. All right? Like not work out your salvation is like make sure you're saved. He's talking about now that I'm saved, what does it mean? Right? Um, and I think I compared it. It's like now that I'm a vegan, does it mean I can still eat steak? Well, no, not if I'm still going to be a vegan, right? Now that I'm saved, does it mean I still, you know, get drunk and carouse with the strange women in town? Maybe not, right? Um, and we're going to, like, so Paul says, live out your life like, like, like you're saved and with fear and trembling, meaning, like, you need to be aware you're going to stand before God and you're going to have this record, right? You're not going to be heaven or hell based on that record. You're heaven or hell based on Jesus. But be aware you're bringing the record with you. Okay, and we're going to see a funny little balance here, and it's we're we're going to get into it. Um, but I have to I have to cover my previous verses because I don't want to leave it's eleven verses out. Paul from the previous section to this section does a little business. Um, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who is genuine. Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare? For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you who know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving me his father. Um, therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. Um, real quick, he's sending Timothy to go work in that church. Everybody with me? Um, Timothy was funny. He had he was the pastor that Paul sent when he wanted a, a, a gentle touch, right? When you read Titus, Titus is the guy that Paul sent when he wanted a hammer, right? And so he's sending Timothy because he's not mad at him. Everybody with me? <laughs> um, and and it's a blessing. And I wanted to just touch on it. Mind you, Paul is in prison. Timothy's helping to feed him, and he's sending Timothy to take care of these guys, right? He's demonstrating selflessness here. Um, then the other guy is Epaphroditus, um, who was sent to Paul by the church to help him. And so they send him a guy. Paul sends the guy back with another guy to help them. Everybody with me? Wanted to cover it. It's not really, but I didn't want to just leave stuff out. So, um, but I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my, to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he had heard, because you had heard he was sick for indeed he was sick to the point of death but god had mercy on him and not on him only but also on me so that i would not have sorrow upon sorrow therefore i have sent him all more eagerly so when you will see him again you may rejoice and i may be less concerned about you receive him then in the lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete, to complete, complete what was deficient in your service of me. Those are the verses I'm leaving out, okay? But I wanted to read them so you all heard them. Um, but let's, that was my aside. Everybody's looking at me like I'm nuts right now. <laughs> Wait a minute, you read all that for nothing? No, I read it because it's important to cover the whole book. Um, so 3-1. So Paul covers his business and he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, finally is poorly translated here. It 
it's not the conclusion. He's saying, now toward the last business we're going to talk about, right? So this is now on my last point. Usually when you hear a pastor say that, it's a bad sign because it means he's going to talk for another half hour. Um, so Paul at this point says, finally, and he goes two more chapters, um, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Why is he touching on rejoice in the Lord? Well, because it fits with what he's about to talk about. Okay, Rejoice in the Lord, have joy, be, be filled with joy for what God is doing for you. Um, this is the theme of the letter, and it fits what we're going to talk about here. And actually, Nathan, we didn't plan this, um, but Nathan picked like the perfect song because um, the Holy Spirit worked in him or, or, or what have you, like, like that 10,000 reasons. Um, the message of this song, I mean, thousands upon thousands of reasons to praise God, right? Um, freedom that we have in Christ. I don't have to worry about, like, going to hell for my sins because Jesus died for me. I don't have to obey the law to be right before God. I don't have to, like, all of these things are there, and these are reasons to rejoice. And this is fitting with what Paul is about, about to talk about. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord, and then he moves on and he gives an apology. Um, to write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. So he says, listen, I'm about to tell you something I've said before. And it's not really difficult for me, and I'm doing it for your benefit. Anybody, like maybe your parents told you something over and over again? You know, and, and after a little while, it's like, oh, my gosh, you're going to tell me that again? And then the one time you're like, ah, oh, my parents were right. Um, <laughs> I see the interaction there. <laughs> um, and so Paul says, listen. First off, have joy. Last topic, have joy, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to tell you something you've already heard from me, right? But it ain't hurting me and it ain't hurting you, so sit down and listen. Um, what is it? Beware of those dogs. He starts off with an insult, right? And that's dogs in Hebrew. It's spelled, or in Greek, it's D-A-W-G-S. It's, <laughs> it's slang. It's an insult. John's laughing because I'm right. Um, <laughs> Um, where are those dogs? He's, he's taking a swipe, and he's actually about to break in this huge play on words that's very insulting. And so hold on. This is really mean. Um, sorry, my mouth is getting dry. Um, beware of those dogs. Now, in the ancient world, dogs were not well thought of, okay? I mean, we have dogs. Dogs sleep in your bed, right? They clean your kitchen floor when you spill stuff. They you know, are your companions. We, we want to rescue them and stuff like that. Dogs in the ancient world, Greco-Roman culture, not well thought of, right? Um, they were not prized pets. They were not like, like um, they weren't really like the cute and cuddly blessing that we consider them to be today. Um, instead, especially for the Jews, they were considered kind of gross. Dogs eat gross things, right? I mean, beyond the food we feed them, which isn't very nice, dogs will eat their own leavens, right? They'll eat dead things. They'll roll in dead things. They'll, anybody had a dog that's done this? You know, they'll come to you with skunk stink on them and, and be proud they have it. And you think, what is your problem? Like, why are you doing this? Um, for Jews, dogs were unclean, okay, which is a step further. Um, in order to be right before God, we're going to play this Pharisee card. Pay attention. Um, in order to be right before God, you couldn't touch dirty things, right? And where this comes from, in the Old Testament, if you were going to go to the temple and you were like out maybe handling roadkill because it was your job to clean the roadkill off the road, and then you were going to go to God's temple having just handled roadkill, 
Like, that's not really, if you were going to go see the king of the universe, would you show up smelling of, of dead animals? Maybe not, right? There were rules about how to be clean before God, and they involved not touching things that were dirty, including dogs, right? And so when Paul calls them dogs, he's inferring that they're unclean before God. These are not holy people by merit of being not holy. Um, and so, like, this is an insult on several levels. I know dog is kind of a compliment in our culture sometimes, like in that youth, young people with their iPods and their, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so beware the dogs, beware the evildoers, beware of the false circumcision. If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom and dad when you get home. I'm not explaining it. Um, for the Jew, <laughs> college guys, a- ask the professors, or ask Renee. Um, <laughs> She'll have class after. (laughs) Oh, that got out of hand real quick. Um, For the Jews, one of the things that was required to be considered a Jewish man was you had to be circumcised, right? Um, And circumcision ideally happened on the eighth day. Like, Moses didn't circumcise his son on the eighth day, and God almost killed him for it. Like, it is a big deal. Circumcision was a part of being Jewish, right? And the circumcision was supposed to be like cutting away this dirty, bad part of you. Not getting into that. Um, but it was, it was like the Jews understood it as unclean to be uncircumcised, right? And actually to call someone uncircumcised was, was pretty insulting for Jewish people. Now it's like, wow, that's weird. You just said that to me. Um, but in this culture, being called uncircumcised, big insult. Um, and so what was going on was you had guys who converted to Christianity, right? They became Christians. They found Jesus and they said, wait a minute. If I'm going to follow Jesus, don't I have to follow the rules the way I did before? So shouldn't I still be circumcised to be right before God? And so they were going around and convincing people that they had to be circumcised to be right before God. Now, there were a lot of folks who converted to Judaism and didn't want to get circumcised. And so they became what was called God-fearers, meaning they did everything except that. I can't imagine why they'd avoid it. Um, Ask Renee. Um, I'm just piling it up now. Um, but but um, and, and a lot of these folks converted to, to follow Christ, right? And now we've got these guys who are coming along and they're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You still need to be circumcised. Don't think you're getting out of that. And Paul spends forever fighting with these guys who are trying to make the Christians into Jews, right? What were they saying? Well, if you don't follow the law right, God doesn't love you. You're not right before God if you don't obey the law perfectly, Right? By the way, 10,000 reasons, right? Um, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Why do we rejoice? I'm free, right? If you're in Christ this morning, you are free. You don't have to, like, dot your T's and cover every little bit. And you might accidentally say something wrong, and then God hates you again until you get it right again. None of that stuff. We are free in Christ, right? We're free to live right before him, not because he'll squish us if we don't, but because we love him for what he did for us. And these guys are out there like, nope, 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 nope. You've got to do these laws. And Paul is saying, watch out for these guys. They think they're making you clean, but they're unclean because they have a false circumcision. Um, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and, the glor- and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Um, Paul touches on this in other letters, this true circumcision. Real circumcision is is something that happens in the heart, right? Um, 
it refers to the, 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 the dead, sinful part of you that's cut away and thrown like into the dustbin, the garbage of history, right? And you're left pure and right before God. Um, real circumcision like, isn't an outward thing, according to Paul here, right? He's saying the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and cleanses you and makes, your, makes you pure and right and holy before God, and that's it. That's what you need, right? Um, he says we're the real circumcision because we rely on Jesus, not on our works, not on the flesh, right? Any of y'all know somebody who's sure that they're working hard enough to get to heaven? It's a false, it's like a false economy. You can't buy your way in. The only real way, like, like to be right before God is to glory in Christ, is to recognize the forgiveness that we receive, is to be, you know, just receiving that and submissive of it. Um, and so no confident in the flesh. Like, like he says, we don't trust this stuff. Um, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Paul is about to break out his resume, okay? Paul was a Pharisee, and Paul was a good Pharisee, right? So he breaks out his resume. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, so I got my circumcision covered, right? Um, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning not only was I circumcised, right? I came from the right lineage. I got the genealogy, right? Anybody ever have a, an animal that was certified, had the papers? We had a dog that was AKC certified, and we had a piece of paper that went with it, and somewhere out there there was a book with his name in it that showed that he was a good dog. He wasn't a good dog. He was a terrible dog. But, but you know, according to the paperwork, he was a great dog, right? And he was, he was special because he had the right lineage. And Paul says, I got that lineage. I'm from the right family. I got everything to brag about in this part of my life, right? Uh, Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, meaning I obeyed the law and I obeyed the extra made-up junk that I didn't even have to obey to make sure that I was right before God. Um, there's a... Uh, I, I can't believe I'm going to use this as a reference, but it's in my head right now, so I'm going to say it. There's a, there's a Simpsons episode where, where Ned Flanders, the neighbor... Right, the neighbor who's the church guy, he says, "Well, I tithe to eight different churches just to hedge my bets." <laughs> like, like God's going to be mad that I gave to the Lutherans and not the Church of God, right? Like, <laughs> really? But it's that idea that I need to put my hedge around this so I obey the law just perfectly, and I'm going to do it with my giving just to be sure, right? And the the Pharisees did it with giving, right? They did it where they're like, "Oh, get the spice garden out." We got this much mint. Well, let's get our 10% out for God. <laughs> let's get our 10% of the deal out for God. And they did that much work. But in the end, it's just a hedge. And Paul says, I did this. I was perfect in it. I obeyed that law. Even the made-up silly stuff that God doesn't care about. Um, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Meaning I was so energetic about this that I went after the church. I was so energetic about earning my way into heaven that I persecuted people who believed in Jesus because I didn't believe in him, because they weren't following the law correctly. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless, meaning I did everything that was expected of me. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
this is, by the way, gain and loss. The words he's using are, are business terms. He's talking like in the terms of a balance sheet, right? So he says, listen, everything that was in my plus column for God, it's all thrown away for Jesus. All the hard work, all the years of obedience, all the, all the standing in the right place and saying the right words and never touching anything dirty and washing my hands before I eat and everything else I ever did to be right before God, all of this hard work, it's nothing. You just put it in my credit card debt because it's gone, right? It's, it's, it's nothing because it can't get me to Christ. Everything that I ever did to earn my way to God is loss for the sake of Jesus. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Um, what he's talking about is, he's talking about not only the hard work I've done, but my own life my own home, my own family. Paul says, I will walk away from all of that just to know Jesus. He says, everything in the world is worth giving up just to know Jesus. 10,000 reasons, right? We, we come to God and we live a life of worship because everything that we have doesn't matter next to knowing Jesus. Where does real joy come from? I, I love my wife and kids, right? Um, but they're secondary to Jesus. Oh, Eric's a terrible person. It's the truth. I love my wife and kids through the love of Jesus. If my wife didn't love Jesus more than me, I would consider it a failure on my part as a spiritual leader in our family. Um, it's just reality. Paul is talking about everything, everything, everything is about Jesus. Everything. doesn't mean I have to hate my wife, right? It means I love her through the lens of my love for Christ. If my house burns down, well, if y'all's house, it's not my house. <laughs> if I end up bankrupt tomorrow, if I lose everything, if I'm like Job sitting in a pile of dirt, scratching my sores with a piece of broken plate because it's the only thing I could find to do it, if I've got nothing left, if I know Christ, if I have Christ still, everything else can be lost because everything I lose I regain in Christ. Is everybody with me? This is a hard teaching, and oftentimes we soften it up because it's kind of nice to soften it up. But what Paul is talking about is next to Jesus, everything is nothing. Even the hard work I've done. Um, oh, and here's where this is going to get gross. Sometimes the Bible translators, they soften language because it is what it is. Like they don't want to have you saying some things in church. Um, for whom? All right, uh, let me start it. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Rubbish, um, some translations will use filth. Um, it actually is, it's, it's an excrement is what he's saying. It, he, he considers everything he ever accomplished in life like a big pile of, you know, horse... <laughs> or sweepings, you know, like it's that compared to knowing Jesus. My good works, my possessions, my everything, my wife is face palming. Um, Paul wrote it, not me. Um, <laughs> I don't, I didn't make up Greek. I wasn't even born yet. You can't blame me for that. Um, all of this stuff, all of this, all of this junk, um, all of the most precious things in my life next to Jesus it's, it's, like, it's like filth. Not that those things are bad. Not that suddenly I hate my family. Not that, you know, I hate my job. Not that I hate my friends. Not that I hate all of these things. But next to Jesus, they need to be that far off the scale. Does that make sense? Real joy comes in. You know what? If I... Anybody ever feel sad that your car is crummier than the guy next to you? 
Is it really just me? <laughs> Come on. Or that the, the farm down the road has a bigger tractor and taller wheat? I never felt that. I'm just tossing it out there. I'm trying to speak your language here. Um, <laughs> but, but it's easy to stand in that place where like, oh, wow, mine isn't as good, so. What Paul is talking about is, mine isn't as good, so what? Because next to Christ, everything else is, everything else is nothing. Jesus is what matters. So if my farm burns down like it happened to Job, if my family is gone like it happened to Job, if my health is gone like it happened to Job, and I still have Christ, I don't have to sit in the ashes and mourn, I can have a degree of joy. I can still be sad, but I can have a degree of joy because in Christ I'll be saved. In Christ in eternity I'll be made new. Um, oops, end of the sentence there. Um, them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a right, righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Meaning, all I want, I can give up everything. All I want is to be found at the end of time before God in Christ with righteousness that Jesus is, not mine. I talked about... Um, Switching permanent records. Anybody, you know, they got that file at the school with a vault over here. It's a, it's in a vault. You know, if you could go in there and find the good kid and switch his name with yours so that you get the straight A's and the no detentions and he gets your like DF record. And I'm talking about you. No, Kate didn't go to public school. Um, I can't even pick on her. Um, you know, if I could switch my permanent records, right? I want Jesus' permanent record, is what Paul's saying. I want to be found at the end of time in Christ with his permanent record sitting on my name, right? And that's, everything else in the world is nothing compared to that. Um, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be conform, being conformed to his, to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says in all of this, first off, I want to be found with his permanent record, right? I want to be conformed to be like him, meaning um, my selfishness, I want that put away in favor of selflessness. Um, two sermons ago we talked about that. If you want to listen to it online, probably if Jess ever puts it online. Um, I have the microphone. I can blame you. Um, um, he, he's saying, listen, I want to be like Christ. I want to be like him in his sufferings. I want to be conformed in him, in his, to him in his death, meaning I want this old part of my life put to death and gone so that I can be resurrected with everyone at the end of time and go to heaven. Um, for Paul, this economy isn't a bad trade. He's trading nothing that he can keep for everything that lasts forever. Um, not that I have already obtained it, meaning I'm not perfect yet, right? And I haven't been resurrected yet. It's actually already but not yet. Right? I'm made whole and new in Christ, but I'm not quite perfect yet because I'm not in heaven. Everybody with me? Paul is striving for that. Um, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Meaning, I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to keep striving at it so I can grab hold of this thing that I was saved to accomplish. Meaning, Paul is trying to be good. Paul is trying to be righteous. Paul is trying to be selfless. Paul is trying to be loving. Paul is trying to be all of these things, but he's not doing it because he wants to earn heaven, but because he wants to be like Jesus. Um, and it's a very different thing. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. 
but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for being the pri- or for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I flubbed that because something landed on me. Um, what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, I'm not there yet. I'm still pushing onward. I'm running my race. I'm reaching toward the end. And when the time comes, I'm going to grab hold of that prize. That prize is to be like Christ in eternity, right? He's not going to earn it. He's not going to work for it. He's not going to throw enough offering in the plate to get there. He's not going to anything. He's going to have faith in Christ. And he's going to try and be like Christ through his faith. And that's what's going to get him there. Um, This is our call. Like, this is what Paul is giving us. This is the essence of the gospel. I rejoice because I don't have to work my way to heaven. I rejoice because I'm saved by faith. I rejoice because God loves me even though I'm a screw-up, right? Even though my wife face palms half the sermon material because I, I say it wrong. God loves me then, right? He loves all of you then, even when you fail. Even when, you know, you value the, the, the rubbish above him. He loves you even then. Um, my challenge for you this week is to look at the things you value. Um, and where is Christ on the scale? I'll admit that sleeping in most days, pretty valuable to me. And it's not always the case that I value Jesus more than my sleeping in. Because I don't always get up as early as I should to do my studying and praying and stuff, right? Um, but God puts it on my heart that I need to value Christ above all else. And so even when I fail, I try to do it better next time. I try to strive toward the end goal of being like Christ. Um, we're going to close in prayer, and I think Kate is going to do a song for us. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to um, help us to value you above all else. Help us to not look to the flesh or to our works or to anything, but help us to have joy um, in the grace that comes in Christ. Help us to have joy in the blessing that comes in Christ. Help us to be made like you um, through our faith in you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, So the words are actually going to be up on the screen. And the last part of it, uh, I didn't write, so I can't take credit for it. It's uh, the hymn, Rock of Ages. (laughs) Whenever I get up here, I get nervous. Uh, But... This song is actually that's something that God has been teaching me a lot in the last couple of months is the truth about who Jesus is. And I hope that you can see the reflection of that in this song. So.